0: Good morning. The passage today is Ecclesiastes 5.8 through 6.12. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, and he has nothing in his hand. And as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and in much vexation and in sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possession and power to enjoy them, and accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything. Yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has a wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with a stronger one than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is advantage to man? For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man? What will be after him under the sun? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Okay. Are we ready to get into the Word of God this morning? Oh, a couple of us. Good. All right. Well, the rest of you'll just have to sit tight. Um Okay, well, I I do want to give us a budget update. One of the things that I talked to our staff about doing is a quarterly uh, budget update because uh, ironically enough, we're talking about money. So here we go. We're going to have a budget update. So um, uh, it is an appropriate time to do this because it's the beginning of summer season. And I want you to have a financial picture of where our church at, is at in certain things and certainly uh, be able to know the big picture so that you could pray for, so that you could be a part of, and so that you could invest into what God is doing here at Cross Point downtown. And so, uh, first off, is that our fiscal year budget? Yes, sir. Oh, I got to give him my slides, which is perfect because I have this time to kill. Um, All right. So. I, he's, he has my keys. You're like, how, how in the world does that work? He's got his keys. I have a jump drive on my keychain. So there you go. Um, magical. All right. Uh, we're, we're on a fiscal year budget. That begins in September. And then that wraps up in August. So September of 2018 through August 2019. And our year-to-date budget is $180,000, uh, some change uh, there as well, but uh, just rounding out the numbers. Uh, so currently, um, oh, uh, that on a monthly level puts us at $15,000. Uh, currently, that means that through the month of May, we're at uh, $135,000 budgeted. Um, And I wanted to tell you that our actual is actually $137,600, so we're right at budget, a little bit above budget, Um, and that includes for what was a really A strong December as far as giving is concerned. Part of why I want to have this awareness for you is to say you're getting ready to go on vacation. And if you go on vacation and you forget about your church, then we're going to be hurting. Um, And so I want to encourage you to continue to give generously over the summer season. Some of us like to give here. Some of us like to give online. Um, If you're going to be out for a certain period of time, then I encourage you to give online and uh, so that you could be a part of the generosity of our our church family. And I will tell you uh, that we don't have any debt. We're a church that spends um, either at budget or below budget, and it's been below budget. Uh, so much so that um, over the last several years, uh, we've been able to stockpile about $45,000 in reserves, which is three months of our operations expense. Uh, so that's a really safe thing to do. If you're a business owner, you know that that three to six month number is really important uh, to have in reserves. And then there was also a large irregular gift that was given last month of $53,000. And the elders are currently determining how are we going to use that for the of the gospel in the city. Some of that will will go in reserve. Some of that will go towards expending money upon growth so that we can uh, have a a larger footprint here to see God do greater things. And so we want to advance the name and fame of Jesus Christ in those areas. And so I, I tell you these things because you're a part of this. Um, and so I want your input. I want your encouragement. I want your questions. Uh, Josiah as well. Scott is our elder candidate. He would like that as well. And so if you have questions, please ask them. Uh, we have an open book as far as the transparency on the numbers. If you are a cross point downtown partner, uh, then any questions that you have as far as the line items of the budget and things like that, we would be happy. Uh, to answer those questions, uh, to get you the information that you want, so that you can feel like your investment here is going towards what we say it is. That's incredibly important to me, that we have financial transparency, because I hold very precious, the fact that you would give your resources here to our church body and entrust our leadership with those resources. That is an incredibly important responsibility and weight that I feel and our leadership feels. And at the same time, we're grateful because we get to do what we do on the basis of your voluntary financial generosity. So uh, financial stewardship says this for this summer, for for you and I, some of you give and give generously. And I say, thank you. Continue that giving and giving generously to your church body. Some of you, God may be calling you to give more. Uh, I don't know what that number is. The Lord might lay that upon your heart and I encourage you that walk in obedience to that generosity. Your investment here is an investment in the kingdom of heaven. And then finally, some of you may have apprehension about giving. Maybe you're struggling with debt and things like that. I would encourage you to just give something. Uh, No matter how big or how small, the Lord will use it and multiply it as you give it to him and entrust him with your resources, the gifts that he has given you. So uh, with that, I'm going to pray and we'll get in the text. Father, thank you so much that we can come under your word. And even today, Lord, as we talk about the way we view money and as the preacher Solomon helps us understand this, Lord, um, we are asking for your help. We're asking that your Holy Spirit would bring to light the realities that you desire for our lives. And that, God, my prayer is that money is not a God for us, but we see money as a good gift that you've given us, and we entrust it back to you. In Jesus' name, the church says together, amen. All right, Um, so uh, a couple weeks ago, Uh, It was a Saturday morning and my kids are are starting to get more and more antsy for the start of summer and their expectations for what we're going to do in life continue to go up. Like mom and dad are like entertainers. So we've got to keep these kids occupied and especially as summer gets going, if you've got kids at home, you realize that like this boredom setting in on the kids, even though they've got everything under the sun, no pun intended there. um, Even though they have everything to keep them occupied, there's this insatiable desire for for more, more, more. And so, uh, Adeline, my, my daughter went on to a birthday party. And so whenever Adeline goes on a birthday party and she gets to do something fun or one of the other kids, the, the other two feel left out. They feel like, man, like I am, I am not, uh, somehow this isn't fair. Uh, she gets to do something fun and we don't get to do anything. And so Lily is demanding. She says, what are we going to do today? And, you know, I've, I've got a few answers, you know, I've been praying about this the night before. And so I've got a few answers. So, you know, I say, you know, do you want to go to Disney Springs? Um, Maybe we'll go to Rock Springs. If you've ever been to Kelly Park, tubing down Rock Springs, Um, or or maybe we'll go to Claremont and we'll go blueberry picking. Um, Sounds like a great idea, right? Those are wonderful ideas. And she looks at me and she says, is that all you got? There's this insatiable desire that I see in my children that that really can only be answered by this insatiable desire that I feel in myself. And and that's simply, nothing's ever enough. Nothing's ever enough. I mean, we live in Orlando. We've got Disney World. We've got Disney Springs. I mean, you could do the thing for free and, and, and do it for really cheap and have much to do. But yet we find ourselves in boredom. And as it relates and pertains to money, we can actually be tempted with the same thing. There's never enough. There's never enough. We need more. We need more. We need more. And so today what I want to do is I want to point us to this truth. If money is God for you, money is never enough. If money is a gift from God, to you and to me, then we'll find contentment and joy in what God has given. Do you hear that? We'll find contentment and joy in what God has given. One of the things I appreciate about the Bible is that it it pulls no punches as it relates to prosperity and wealth. And some of the lies that take place in our world, and our culture, specifically related to money. Jesus talks a lot about money. The Bible talks a lot about money. And so when we get to it in a passage like this, our call is to go for it. And that means for us as God's people to allow God's word to do surgery on our hearts. And to do surgery on our souls. Because this word and the truth of God upon money can offend everybody in this place today. I'll just warn you, I probably will offend everybody in this place today as it relates to that. But when the word of God offends, it also heals. When the word of God offends, it also heals because it confronts those areas where there's an absence of God and then it brings his truth as a good surgeon, as the good doctor does work on our hearts because the problem isn't money, but the problem is of our hearts Tim Keller wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, and one of which uh, the gods he exposes is the false god of money. And he says about how our American economy was so built upon this and some of the devastation that resulted in it. He says, after the global economic crisis began in mid-2008, there followed a tragic sting of suicides of formerly wealthy and well-connected individuals the acting chief financial officer of Freddie Mac, the federal home loan mortgage company, hanged himself in his basement. The chief executive of Sheldon Good, a leading U.S. real estate auction firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. A French money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europe's royal and leading families and who had lost $1.4 billion of his clients' money in Bernard Madoff's Ponzi scheme slid his wrists and died in his Madison Avenue office. A Danish senior executive with HSBC banked hanged himself in the wardrobe of his 500-pound-a-night suite in Kingsbridge, London. That's about $700, by the way, uh, how much that uh, suite was. When Bear Stearns' executive learned that he would not be hired by J.P. Morgan Chase, which had, brought his coll- which had bought his collapse firm, he took a drug overdose and leapt from the 25th floor of his office building. Now, I read this to say, when you're seeking salvation in money, you won't find it. When you're seeking salvation in wealth, in the accumulation of wealth, in the accumulation of resources, you won't find it. And one of the things about the Bible that it points us to is the sufficiency of Christ over all of life. And so the scriptures take us away from our gaze upon money, which ironically says in God, we trust and points us to the hope that is found only in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so the preacher Solomon, he's the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest men that have ever lived. He had so much money. And it wasn't limited to money. He had unlimited power. He had unlimited wisdom. He had wine. He had women. He had everything that is imaginable for pleasure and satisfaction. And yet he says it's all vanity and chasing after the wind. And so he's looking back and reflecting upon his life. And he's telling those who are coming up an age below him. He's saying, make sure your eyes are fixed on what matters most. And money is vanity. If you're chasing after money to find security, hope, and salvation, you're chasing after the wind. So we see there's this money myth busting that he begins to do. And so I'm, I'm going to go through this rather quickly. There's five myths that Solomon, uh, the preacher, unpacks for us. Uh, number one is more money equals more justice. Verses eight and nine. If you'd look with me there in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, if you see in a province of the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. We want to see a utopia built. That, that's the nature of humanity. We, we want to see the best the world has to offer. And so we think that if we just have the right economic system, if we just have the right political system, if we just have the right health care, if we just have the right scientific achievement and advancement, then we're going to get there. Now, one of the things that Solomon says as it relates to this is that more wealth doesn't necessarily mean more justice. In fact, here he says it quite the opposite, that there's this accumulation of wealth, and where is the concentration of wealth? There's actually a concentration of injustice upon those who are oppressed. And... This is what Solomon has to say. So no, no matter if we're in a capitalist society and we look at a communist society and we think, man, that is just ramp with injustice. There is so much theft that goes on in this capitalistic system. And then the capitalists, uh, or the, the communists are looking at the capitalists and saying, this is a, a, a system that's filled with injustice. And there's so much poverty that is unnecessary in that system and so we can look at someone else's system and say ours is better or that one's worse but we're asking the wrong question we're asking we're trying to fix the solution with systems that are man-made and the problem with man-made systems is man the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart so whether it's capitalism or communism or socialism. It's all filled with opportunity for wickedness. Why? Because man at his his core is in need of God's holiness. And when man doesn't realize that, the higher official will hurt the official lower than him and will take his cut and they'll take their cut and they'll take their cut until there's this trickle-down effect where those at the bottom are oppressed and hurt and harmed with no recourse because the red tape of bureaucracy has made it impossible for them to find justice. Do you hear that? And, and listen to me. While America is the greatest country in the whole wide world, in my firm belief, we have this injustice in our land today. And we need to see it so that God could bring redemption to it. This is why we have to be involved in the political systems, in the economic systems. This is why we have to have our ears to the ground to the work that God is doing to set people free. Because part of loving our neighbor is making sure that they are cared for and have the provision need. And when they don't have certain rights that we might have because our wealth affords it then we help them and serve them in such a way that allows them to be heard and to be set free by the grace of God. The preacher says, don't be amazed at this matter. Don't be amazed at this matter. Maybe you've seen injustice and you've been absolutely amazed. I can't believe this is going on in my country. I can't believe this is going on in my backyard. I know when I went to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil for a mission trip, I could not believe the social inequity and injustice there. And then the people of Brazil were asking me about the social injustice and inequity that they saw in the United States because I'm blind to my own reality and my own cultural shortcomings and pitfalls And I see that and it's brought exposure to that and it causes me to say, I want to be a force for seeing the redemption of these systems by the power of the gospel for the glory of God. And when I find that they're imperfect, it won't surprise me because I know under the sun, this home is not my home and that I'm made for another place. And that utopia will never exist because we're not made for earth, but for heaven. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. It's good news. Number two, myth number two. More money equals more happiness. (laughs) How many of us have thought that before? Anybody, Anybody thought that before? I'm the only one. Wow. We're talking about money. No one wants to admit anything except for the pastor up here. Yes, more money equals more happiness. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Because... Everything that we have to do to perpetuate this cycle of money coming leads to discontent and dissatisfaction. Ecclesiastes five ten. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Let me take a moment and and tell you what the author is is not doing. He's not telling us to go after to not go after our dreams. Some of you have dreams of entrepreneurship. Some of you have dreams of uh, God has gifted you in incredible ways to, 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 to be able to be a good steward of the resources that he's given you. And he continues to give you more and bless you with more. This is not what the author is going after. The author is going after this idea that your heart and your hope have to be in your money for you to find happiness. That's what he wants to crush. Where you put your heart and your hope in money, you only find yourself unhappy and unsatisfied. Because there's this, there's this perpetual cycle that says, I need more, I need more, I need more. And I have to accumulate more and more and more For my happiness. I've seen this as I've done counseling with people. Especially in marriage. Where there's one of the people in the marriage uh, believes that their continual desire for more equals provision for the family. And then the wife looks at me and says, we're well taken care of. We are well taken care of. But this desire for more keeps him up late at night, out of the house, disconnected, disinterested, and is completely oblivious to the needs going on in his or her own home. This desire for more actually leads to less. It leads to less. And the gospel tells us that we cannot find that happiness There. Eugene Peterson wrote the message paraphrase of the Bible, and I'd encourage you to read that through the Book of Ecclesiastes because it's a a really incredible wording that he gives us. He says, What we're doing is we're chasing a salary of smoke. Remember that the word vanity is like this vapor, this mist, that it's there for a little while and it's gone tomorrow. And the salary of smoke says, I'm gonna I just try to grab it and then it slips between our fingers. The salary of smoke is this chasing after the wind that if we're not aware of it, we're always going to buy into the lie that if I get five more thousand dollars added to my salary, I'm going to be okay. And how many of us have gone that? We've been through that, Like Five years ago, we were saying that now we have it and more and we're still in the same place. You can't chase this salary of smoke because it's temporal. It won't deliver on its promises. Only God can do that. A reporter once asked the millionaire, one of the greatest millionaires of our nation's history, John D. Rockefeller. They asked him, what was your favorite million dollars to make? John D. Rockefeller said, the next one, the next one. And if he would have gotten that million dollars, which he did, it was the next one. The next one, the next one, there's a continual desire for more. Uh, Number three, more money equals less problems. Uh, If you've heard of Notorious B.I.G., the famous theologian, more money, more problems, you know that's not true. Uh, More money does not equal less problems. More money equals more problems. And here's why. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Bernie Kosar was a famous football player, very wealthy man in his time. And he went bankrupt. And when a reporter asked him, how did this happen? He said, I'm paying 600 people's cell phone bills. There's all of these people that seem to come out of the woodworks when money begins to abound. And they know where that money is abounding and it creates more problems. And the problems that are chiefly created in those times is that people don't want you for you, but people want you for something else. And so you always feel this train of dependence falling after you, and they're not really concerned about you. They just want something from you, and that's a very lonely way to live. This is why those who have a lot of wealth and have worked very hard to get it find themselves isolated because they have no real friends or true friends. I have a theory. It's better to eat hot dogs and mac and cheese with your friends than to eat filet mignon alone. You know that's true, right? It's better to eat food with those who you can enjoy it with than eat alone and be miserable. Because more money doesn't equal less problems, but actually can cause an accumulation of them. Number four, the fourth myth. More money equals more peace. Verse 12, sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. More money doesn't equal more peace. It equals more indigestion. How many of you have ever been up? Uh, I'm I'm not gonna ask the question because no one's gonna raise their hand except for me this time. Um, So thank you very much. You've been up with indigestion, so you know how this feels. You cannot sleep because the answer is to peace is not in financial prosperity. And, and, and here's the thing about uh, wealth and resources that we have to be aware of. Is that the, the Bible doesn't attack financial prosperity. He, ta- he attacks inordinate desires towards that prosperity. Because the scriptures actually have examples of rich people that are both rich and righteous. Abraham, for example, is a man who is rich and he's righteous. Jesus Christ, for example, right now is sitting on a golden throne. He's rich and he's righteous. Lydia, that we read about in the book of Acts, she was a seller of the purple goods with a Nike swoosh on it from Thyatira. She was rich and she's righteous. And then it also has people who are poor and righteous. Jesus himself, as he lived on this earth, was poor and righteous. He was a carpenter by trade. His mom and dad couldn't even afford. The sacrifice that was required in the offering. So they had to opt for a lesser sacrifice. Because they didn't have the resources to give it. And so the, the one who was poor. Jesus Christ shows us. That it's not about how much wealth you have. In order to be satisfied. Or in order to have peace. And so, the laborer who works day and night to earn what little they have, but they get to go home to their family and they get to eat until they're satisfied and they get to go to bed without money or a job on their mind, it says, sweet is the sleep of that labor. But the stomach of the one whose heart and hope is in their money, it won't let them sleep. Why? Because they think the next myth is true more money equals more security. If I just have more money, then I have more security. If I just put enough money in in stockpile it, then I'll have my 501K or 403B. And then when we think that somehow that security happens, we have a week like last week and the stock market is going on a roller coaster. And you know what that means? Your heart's on a roller coaster. (laughs) And so Solomon's taking us into the bank that's filled with these ornate Pictures of power and wealth and preeminence and supremacy. And he's saying it's just vapor. Just wiping it away. It's chasing after the wind. Verse 16 and 17. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness in much vexation in sickness and anger the one whose heart and hope is in their money finds themselves not immune to the same problems that we all face the person who stockpiles a retirement account and three months after they retire they die how much of a savior was that money in that time The person who stockpiles money and says, if I just have this much money, then I could really genuinely live. And then a crisis happens in the family and the money that they started to build up has to slowly be depleted, not on their enjoyment, but on their survival. And so more money does not equal more security. Any of you feeling a demolition job done on on your heart right now? Um, So that's his goal. He wants to take these bubbles of false reality that we've created for ourselves, that we're living in isolation from, and he wants to take a needle and he wants to pop them all so that way we could see that those things of vanity provide no hope, no security, and no future, so that way we look In the right direction. And that's where we're going to look right now, and that's at the power of contentment. The power of contentment. We see that here in verses 18 through 20. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is a gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with a joy in his heart. Sometimes the days seem really quick, don't they? It's because they are. Do you know that the way our heart is most easily occupied and the best way our heart is occupied is by looking at what's in front of us and seeing it as a good gift and thanking God for it and finding joy and contentment there. If you can't do that, then nothing is ever going to be enough. You're going to be on the career ladder and after you get to the next level, you're going to want to level up from there. You're going to continue to invest in the highs and lows of the market like gambling. And you're going to lose out You're going to continue to try to hoard and build up as much as you possibly can and then some crisis is going to happen and you're gonna say, what was I doing? Do you know what the call of contentment for us here today is? is to say, let's take what's in front of us right now. Let's take your life. Let's take your bank account. Let's take your family. Let's take your friends. Let's take your place. Let's take everything that God has given you right now and let's say, thank you. Can you just say that to God right now with me? Let's all say it together. Thank you. Thank you, God. Because you have given me this as a good gift. And my joy, my contentment does not rest on money. But my contentment rests on God who has given me everything I need for hope and satisfaction. And so there's an anecdote here. The preacher is saying, put your heart and your hope, not in the gift, but in the giver. Put your heart and your hope, not in the gift, but in the giver. Because if you'll do that, then you'll realize that he is the one that has a cattle on a thousand hills. And he would not hold anything good back from you that you need. Warren Wearsby He recently passed away, an incredible and prolific author and pastor in our day. He says this, if we focus more on the gifts than on the giver, we're guilty of idolatry. If we accept his gifts but complain about them, then we're guilty of ingratitude. If we hoard his gifts and will not share them with others, then we're guilty of indulgence. If we yield to his will and use what he gives us for his glory, then we can enjoy life and be satisfied. I'm going to step out on a ledge here and say that God has given you everything that you need right now. He's given you everything that you need right now. Do you know, you know why I could say that? Because the scriptures tell me that. And, and I'm going to say this of my life. And I know the things because they're there. I want more. I want more and want more. But I want to remind myself of the truth of the gospel right now. God has given me everything I need in him. And so together we look, not at the gift, but at the giver. There's uh, this bird's nest that found its way into the bush in our backyard, our side yard. And, and it just just uh, uh, really was walking back there and I saw a cardinal. And it was kind of chirping at me from a tree. And I thought, okay, something's up here. And so you, you could see here this beautiful bird's nest. I mean, look at that. Isn't it amazing? I, there is... I mean, incomparable to some of the greatest works of humanity is what a cardinal can do with a bird's nest. And then those beautiful blue eggs, aren't they gorgeous? So, so my kids, they realized that the bird's nest was there and they were all giddy, man. Every single day, they're walking out there and we warned them. We're like, listen, if you're around there, that, that nest enough, the birds are gonna abandon their kids. Well, apparently those birds adopted my kids as caregivers um, because they're still there and they've gotten really okay with them being there to where they can get really close and that bird won't leave. And so, um, uh, so you know, uh, over about a week, of watching this, these eggs and nothing happening and wondering with bated breath when it, happen, when it would happen, when it would happen, when it would happen, we come out to this. And we see three beautiful birds. And, and there's something about nature that reminds us of the provision of God. And this reality I'm trying to, to, to allow sink in to me and to you, is that God has given you enough. He, he's provided that the birds in the air have enough. And Jesus says it, these same words. He says, Look, all right? Just look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns. They're not hoarding anything. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? You're laying awake at night, wondering if the deal's going to fall apart, wondering if you're going to be okay the next day or the next week or the next month or the next year. And here's reality the birds in the air, whom God loves, but not nearly as much as you, are okay. How much more? How much more will He care for you? How much more? He continues to give you everything you need for not only this life, but for the next. And let me tell you the primary concern about God as it relates to us focusing on not the gift, but the giver, is that when we do that, he's preparing us more for the next life in this life so that we, that we would have our heart and our hope in that which matters most. Jonathan Aiken, an author and pastor says, our hearts are fickle and pull us away from contentment to craving for more and more and more. First Timothy chapter six says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Here's some math that adds godliness plus contentment equals great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, repeating what The preacher says, we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those whose desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. The love of money. It is Through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. And pierced themselves with many pangs. So if you love money more than God. The return on investment for giving your life to godliness and contentment does not add up. If you love money more than God. The return on investment of reading your Bible and pursuing Jesus in prayer and spiritual discipline. The return on the investment from being with a gathered body in the church. The return on investment to giving your tithes and offerings and sharing with those in need. The return on investment of those things doesn't add up. But with godliness plus contentment, those things actually equal great things. Because it means that you're wealthy. And your wealth is not determined by what's in your bank account. Your wealth is determined by the wellspring of hope that you have in your heart that says Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus lived this life. He could have had all the wealth in the world. He could have had the most grandiose kingdom that would ever be witnessed for all human history and it would exist for us today. But Jesus was building Not upon the false realities that we live in. Jesus was building something that wasn't merely physical and temporal that we know of today. But Jesus was building something eternal. So that we wouldn't enjoy things just for the here and now. But we would enjoy things forever. And if you have a loved one who has put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And you are believing this truth as they are there with Jesus in eternity, you know that eternal life is better than just the simple presence of today. Enjoy today so that tomorrow is secure and the security that we look for for tomorrow is in Christ. It's in Christ. Okay, wrapping up. The unsatisfied soul. I'm gonna uh, uh, breeze through this one. Um, he, he talks about a man who has everything, yet has nothing. Verse 3, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, uh, burial I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. So, the, the Jews had an idea of what blessing was like and, and blessing in their time meant that there was an abundance of wealth, there was an abundance of kids and there was abundance of long life. So if you've had all those three things, then you are blessed by God. Here Solomon says, here's a man with all of those things that should satisfy him, but he remains unsatisfied. And the man dies and people are at his funeral only to bicker for his money and that's this only thing that this man's life or this woman's life has given them is that they would bicker for the things that belong to this person so that they would have what this person worked hard for and then why did he work hard for it for the, to begin with if that's the result of it and he cannot have it anyway naked he came into this world naked he goes away But the hope is that we would not look at the hoarding of wealth or the accumulation of wealth in that way, but that we would see wealth as a gift that God has been to be enjoyed now and not find satisfaction in it, but find satisfaction that knowing that it's not in our wealth that we trust, but it's in God. And there's these unanswered questions that Ecclesiastes leaves us with here. Whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun. So we all come to life with these unanswered questions. And it seems as though Solomon is a bit scattered here. He's taking us from money to unanswered questions. But I don't think, I think he has a, I think he has a, a plan in mind as he takes us there. We're all looking for answers. The question is, is who are we trusting When we can't come up with those answers. Are are you trusting your wisdom? He's been through that before. Are you trusting the justice system? He's been through that before. Are you trusting your wealth? He's been through that before. Or are you trusting God? Are you trusting God? He's saying here that you cannot dispute with a magnificent and holy and wise and all knowing God. God. But our call is to trust him. Now we can question him because we do. It's okay to question God. But as we come to him with our questions. We also acknowledge him. That our allegiance is there. And that we trust him. In 2nd Corinthians 8 9. The scripture puts down the, the deposit. Tells us. Here's God's good deposit for you. For all. Eternity. Here's his good deposit. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That the king of the universe has not left us alone. That the king of the universe will not leave the questions unanswered but that the God of all majesty and glory and wealth forsaked it all, was born as a babe through the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect and sinless life, forsaking wealth in order to receive poverty. Why? So that we might become rich. So that we might have life. And life to its fullest. I'm telling you, you are more wealthy than John D. Rockefeller if you have Christ. You are more wealthy than Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or you name it. You are more wealthy than anyone else in the whole wide world if all that you have is Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He's enough, he's enough, he's enough. And so today we can make that good confession that for our sake, by his poverty, I became rich. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for it, Lord, for the good gift that you've given us, God, and the things that we have. God, the money that we have, the resources that we have. But Lord, rather than looking the, to those things to be our salvation or to be our God, Lord. We look to you and we worship you and we honor you and we ask God where our hearts are not aligned with this truth that you would bring them to alignment, that your Holy Spirit would work in a powerful way in our lives right here and that we would leave changed people because the power of your gospel and that we would go and that we would go and we would steward the resources that you have given us for your glory and the good of others. And we say thank you for that. In Jesus' name, the church says, amen. Would you stand with me as we take communion? We take communion here. We file down the center aisles. We take the bread. We dip it in the cup. We receive the Lord's Supper in that way. If you've put your hope and faith and trust in Jesus, I invite that you join us as we take communion, recognizing that through his poverty, we have received incredible wealth through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let's worship.